So we were, we were talking about this essay from Rav Hirsch in Lech Lecha about the Brisbane Habasarim and Hashem told Avraham to look up above the stars, which is this also a move from the lower worlds up through the barrier of the supernatural to see. And Rav Hirsch made this amazing comment, which is he's telling him to go up above the stars and look out at the stars and your children will be like that. What he's telling him is, what you'll do is you'll look at the world. How do you get to to become living life in the supernatural plane? Is look at the highest level of this of the natural, which are the sun, the moon, the stars, which are the same ones that were created as they were created in Bracious, as opposed to generations of stars born from generations of stars born the way that trees are or animals that we see here, which Hashem created. But the ones we see aren't the ones from the six days of creation. Right? <laughs> These are the original ones that Hashem made at the time of Bereshis, and that will help you make that leap from one plane to another. From That's like a bridge from the natural to the supernatural is seeing those original those original first-hand creations from the time of Bereshis and seeing how Hashem created them to be there. And that, realizing that their existence was called directly by God into existence, and then Hashem says, your people will be like that. Your children will be like that. They will be created directly from my, from my will. I will call them into being. And this brings us to a place, this is considered a new creation, Right, Ela told us Shemaim va'aretz behibaram, and the word behibaram spells be'avraham. These are the second parak of Bereshis. These are the generations of the heavens and earth as they were created. Spells Avraham because the creation of Avraham, which is what happens here, he becomes Avraham instead of Avraham. Creation of Avraham is the new creation of the world. It's the creation of the Jewish people. That is a whole new creation of the world. It's on the same level. And there's something similar happening here. There's getting back in touch with that, God directly creating, not creating through the means of another thing. One way we think about that is hashkacha pratis, right? Hashem's direct involvement in our lives, not having us supervised by a malach, the malach of, you know, the French. They can lose everything. They can lose their lives. They can lose their families. They can lose their parnasa. They can lose everyone important to them and their homes and everything. They're, they lose their entire life to their addiction. So they're totally enslaved. If you would tell them, you know, take this magic pill and you'll be free of your addictions, they would feel free. That's real freedom. Now, it actually takes an enormous amount of work and it's really hard to do. People who do it are free, though. They become free. So we have our own levels that the Yetzirah is enslaving us. So Ein Lecha Ben no one is so free as a person who's Osek and Torah and Hazal say, because it's carved on the luchos, it's, you know, when you carve it, you can't just, like, change your mind as to what it's going to say. It's a commitment. <laughs> if you carve something into the luchos, it's just going to be there. So, if you carve it into your heart, if that's, it's another way of saying, Hashem's will is my will. I'm choosing his will. So now, I'm not free to just do whatever I want, but it's because I want it that way. Because if I'll do his will, I'll be so much freer. What I'm trying to do is say, you know what, I'm going to do this no matter what. So Yetzirah, stop bothering me about it. You know, if, if I'm just, for sure I'm going to do it. I've made this commitment and now, you know, so you could stop bugging me. Because it's pointless. You're not going to get anywhere. You become free. 
You can set yourself free. Okay. So, when a person not only sees that there is hashkacha pratis, but willingly puts himself into hashkacha pratis, he sets himself free. That's what we saw with Yosef. That bursting through the barrier from the natural to the supernatural is described as he got up and he fled outside. It's the same words as was used when Hashem takes um, Abraham outside the stars, right? Yosef sets himself free. I mean, he literally was almost enslaved to the wife of Potiphar, and instead he bursts free from that. Okay. This concept will lead us, but we're not going there today, to the emuna. Because emuna is knowing that Hashem is guiding us and that everything he does is good for us and everything he wants for us is what's best for us. When I know that, because I've seen that in my life, I can count on it, then even if in a particular moment I don't see how that's so, I can trust in it. And my behavior will be set by what I have known to be true rather than what is revealed to me at this moment. Because what's revealed at this moment may not be the whole story, and in fact never is the whole story. I haven't seen it played out yet. That's, I don't know where you're taking me, God, but I know it's somewhere good. When your behavior is set out by a firm confidence in God and his guidance, that's called emuna. Which makes it, by the way, both very, very lofty and also something now defined and achievable. It's something you could aim for, even if, right? Like, okay, that's Imuna, and that uh, is also one of the Shema themes, is Imuna. That's Kel Melech Ne'aman, which stands for Amen. Okay. So Avraham had given himself over completely and unconditionally to the direct guidance of God. God has raised him above the sphere of conditions on earth where things are bound by the cause and effect laws of nature, to look at a concrete existence directly proceeding from the will of God. And God had said to him, thus shall thy children be. Similarly, directly from me and through me without all natural premises against all natural calculations. This is very closely related to the mitzvah of Mila, which Hashem gave to Abraham, and the number eight. So the Maharal talks about this brismila as lamala min hateva, mm-hmm. above the natural, mm-hmm. supernatural, and it's the number eight because the number seven are the natural cycles. The number eight is the seven plus one. That is the role of the Jewish people, or the role is the wrong word. That is the life of the Jewish people, is living in a world of eight. It's living in the world of seven, only by the time you've gotten to the beginning of seven, you're really in a whole different plane. So you, there is this natural world, you're living within it, but you're not bound by it. It's not on top of you, you're just like there. That's where you happen to be visiting, but it's not controlling you. Sarah Kaufman, I think I mentioned this, she made this comment after we talked about Menashe, about how overwhelmingly awesome it is <laughs> to be a Jew, which was so on target as an insight and that I had so missed the first time learning about Menasha. Like she so, I felt like she put her finger on it. It's this, it's a scary kind of awesome. And yet it's a real Shiloh Asani Goy. Not because, you know, as Schwab says, what does it mean Shiloh Asani Goy? Like, thank God I'm not like Noah. 
the tzaddik, the prophet, who was the father of the whole world. You know, like, there's pretty righteous non-Jews out there. But when we thank Hashem for, we're thanking Hashem for living in a supernatural existence with him. And that could be, I mean, Menashe's existence was not cheerful. It was painful. And even after he did tshuva, he had to stare in the face all of what he had done wrong and all of what he had educated people wrong and see how the effects of his sins had gone on and on even as he tried to fix them. But that's painful. But there's something very reassuring and incredible about knowing that God is holding on to us and isn't letting go. So it's a question of do we lean into that? But when we realize it, then you want to. That's a very safe and secure and beautiful and loved place to be. This issue comes up this week in Parsha Shalach. Because after the Cheta Egel, one of the lesser known passages there in Kisisa, Hashem says to Moshe, I'm, I'm going to wipe out the Jewish people, right? And Moshe says, no, no, please don't do that. You know, let's try again. And Hashem says, fine, but I won't, I won't lead them. I'm going to send a malach to go ahead of you and take you into the land. And it says the Jewish people mourned. Because what could be, I mean, that's worse. That's, it's worse than death. You say we're going to die, okay, but the relationship is there in the next world. This is like a divorce, right? He just, I don't want to have anything to do with you now or forever. I'll just send a malach and somebody can take care of you. It was hard. It's terrible. What a terrifying thing, okay? And, and, and the people basically refused to accept it. They basically said, you know what, we may deserve that, but we don't accept it. We, we will do better, and we, won't, we can't accept going on in life, having tasted what it means to live in the shelter of God. We, we don't want to ever go back to not knowing that. And that... But what they did understand from that message was, I'm not taking you into Eretzisrael the way you thought I was, or the way we could have gone. We could have gone into Eretzisrael, Rashi says in Devarim, you could have gone in with no fighting. And by the time you got to the land, which would have been three days, Hashem would have cleared the land out, one way or another. Diseases, or maybe they would have just run away. You know, they have a tsunami, they could be washed away. Whatever, not your problem. Now, Yehoshua is going to take you in, he's going to lead you, and you're going to have to fight for it. So maybe people don't have to die, right? And I, 36 people died, and that was a huge tragedy. Why? Because nobody has to die in these wars, even if you have to have them. Really, you don't have to have them. Because God could just take care of all of it for you, and that's living a miraculous life. And what Hashem said after the ego was, well, maybe you're not going to live such a miraculous life. Or at least you won't be able to see it openly. You're going to have to do stuff like go fight. Okay, no one has to die. You can always win. You could never lose a battle. But you're going to have to go through the motions, right? There's something there that's called living in hashkacha pratis, but not hashkacha nisis, not a miraculous hashkacha but nonetheless personalized hashkacha. And the Maraglim, when they went, were thinking, oh, so we have to figure out how to do this with us doing it, not Hashem doing it, and that was their mistake. They didn't understand Hashem is still going to be doing it. You just have to take the actions now. They didn't, they had never lived that life. 
they had lived in Mitzrayim and they had lived in the Midbar where Hashem did you know, the food just showed up and now they're transitioning to something and it's unfamiliar and they, they didn't understand it correctly and they thought that what Hashem was saying was I'm relinquishing the power into your hands Hashem was not relinquishing the power into, his, into our hands Hashem is the force Hashem is the power and now he's telling us what we got to do in order for it to activate but it's not us doing it he's doing it and that's where the Miraglim went wrong. So they came back and they said, well, if God is giving this over into our hands, let me tell you something, we're never going to make it. Forget it. And that's what everyone was mourning over, the sense of abandonment. How could God have abandoned us like this? Okay. But Hashem says, what? who said that? Did I say I was abandoning you? No, who's abandoning you? Right, it was a mistake. Okay, so this is this jumping this line into the world of the supernatural, trying to go back into awareness of that. That's the mitzvah that we work on, and it's an actual mitzvah. It is the mitzvah of Kabbalah's Kabbalah's Omach Shemayim, accepting on ourselves the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. That's an intellectual mitzvah. You do it with your brain, and then it affects your heart, and then it affects your actions. but it's an actual mitzvah, and that is the avoda. That's where we're trying to get to in a Shema, which means that you can, it gives you something you, you can understand how you're holding in your Shema. When you say Shema, afterward, you know how you're holding. You know what you were aiming for. Did I get some kind of added awareness that really all this natural world around me is like that's like I don't know the job okay but the reality that's like a play that's the set the reality of it is just there's me and God and his will and there's me with my will and me really wanting whatever it is that he wants and being in tune with the love of that relationship not only the awe which makes sense about the timing that saying the Shema at that time because if miss out you sort of miss out on your day yeah. following the right the, yeah. the ideal way I guess yeah your day is not the same it's day the if you've if you started it off saying everything I'm doing today is guided by the will of Hashem you know I didn't bring it with you're like your brain in a position where you're thinking yeah. you're starting your day off that way so we've had that the Vilna Gon on in Mishle right where he talks about how people used to go to the prophets and the prophet would tell them what their avoda is in life. Like, here's your purpose in life, your tachlis and your job in life. He would look at the person's neshama and the teva of his body. And based on those two gifts from Hashem, he would tell him what he's meant to do and be. Since we don't have that, what do we have? We have the events, meaning God actually talks to us directly, not through the Navi, by giving us the events and circumstances in life that indicate to us what we should be doing. So a person gets a fever, God is telling him, I want you to go to the doctor now. It does not mean the doctor is the one who's healing you. Hashem is the one who's healing you. But he is indicating to you that he wants you to go to the doctor. Do you know in what way your hashba, your neshama, needs to be at the doctor? You don't know. Maybe you'll find out that that inspired the doctor when he met you. Maybe you won't find out anything. Maybe it's the way you look at the receptionist or say hello or... You know, the person who's sitting across the room looking at a magazine, but they notice there's an Orthodox Jew there. We don't know why we need to be always in the places we need to be. 
But that's how Hashem tells us where to go, is through the job opportunities and the illnesses and the wellnesses and all the different things that go on in our lives are telling us what he wants us to do. That's his will. And he's the one who's performing and succeeding with everything. So that's, it's a kind of a conversation. Um, and yeah, your world is a different world and your day is a different day. And going into the night is a time when it's darker and you really aren't accomplishing and you say Shema again. And that's also a kind of handing over of the, you know, saying like, equally when I get up in the morning and equally when I go to bed at night, I'm really just putting myself under Hashem's will. Whatever it is you want of me, you want me to lie still and do nothing, I'll lie still and do nothing. You want me to get up and be busy all day, I'll get up and be busy all day. And whatever it is, I'm doing it because it's what you want. That is a whole different kind of a day. And that, the, just getting to Shema, just, is like such a high avoda. And yet, it's an opportunity that we have every single day. So it's kind of like Rosh Hashanah that happens every day. So when it comes to the mitzvah of Shema, if you say the first pasuk, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, you've done the mitzvah Kabbalah, Olmach Hashemayim, if you say it without kavana, you literally have not done the mitzvah. Most mitzvos, you know, if you light Shabbos candles and you didn't have some kavana, you still lit them, right? If you say the first verse of Shema without kavana, you didn't do the mitzvah, because the mitzvah is a mitzvah of your mind. So if you weren't thinking or you were thinking about something else, you didn't do the actual mitzvah. It's not. The mitzvah of Shema is not saying the words of Shema. The mitzvah of Shema is what happens inside of you and what you're thinking about when you say the words of Shema. So that just, I'm not competent to teach the halachos of Shema. I did Xerox, sort of a summary of them, but I felt like I wanted to have, we need to have like this whole introduction to Shema in order to understand why, at least a little bit, why the mitzvahs of Shema are the way they are. Like, before beginning the Shema, one must bear in mind that he intends to fulfill the commandment of reciting Shema twice a day. Why do you have to do that? I mean, that should be a nice thing to do. You have to know you're fulfilling the mitzvah because this mitzvah is a mitzvah of the mind. You can't do it accidentally. You can't do it without thought because you literally can't do it. Like, it's not possible. Okay. Um... And our teachers really try to make sure we are trained that way. I mean, I remember as a little kid, you know, even though you don't really kind of know, I mean, you know Shema, yeah. but you, they really train you to stop everything and put you Right. Know, Putting the hand over the eyes, is, you know, we're going to get to that. I don't know if we'll get to it today, maybe. No, right. Right. I, I just remember. Just screen it all out and really focus, and, right? And how important it was. I remember our principal of our school came and he was just had so much that was like so important to him and he can't wow. remember him talking to us wow that yeah where'd that, you go to school oh my gosh this was when i was in hebrew school when i was really young wow so it was really that's young. amazing yeah he and i remember my whole life that that was Isn't that amazing that that made such an impression really you know there's really it's beautiful that it made such an impression on you though and that's wonderful back in the day you know this that's wonderful but yeah, and then I know with my kids too, you know. Yeah. You try, but it, you know, 
it helps to realize like this mitzvah is one you do with your mind that's why your mind has to be there <laughs> right like, at least with that one verse your mind really does have to be there and I, I mean for me this whole project of the davening shear is about trying to keep my mind in my davening willingly not willingly like because it's fascinating or because I get what I'm doing if I, if I don't understand what's going on how can I have my mind there we have so many things on our mind. Yeah. So this kind of, Shema really gets you to where you're focused on. The only reality is really about him. So I'm going to screen everything else out. And it's not that I'm screening it out because it's a distraction. I'm screening it out because it's not really the reality. It's not the real reality of what's, that's not what's making it happen. All that stuff that I'm, you know, just, I'm, I'm not thinking about Tron because I'm trying to think, oh, I forgot to put that on the shopping list. Right. But how do things come into my home? <laughs> it's not the shopping list. I, somebody could send it to me as a gift. I could think of it in the supermarket anyway. I could, there's a million other ways it comes in, right? It's not less miraculous. It's, Hashem feeds us as directly through the sliced bread we buy in the supermarket as he ever did with the mon. The difference is all the other actions that go surrounding it that appear to be connected to the bread. Well, we messed up, because otherwise we wouldn't right. be getting the mon. But the change, so the gras says, Hashem didn't change. What changed is us. So what, what changed is our ability to see the direct connection. We, it's like we, we slid ourselves down, right? That reaction of, well, then I'm sending a malach. It's like we slid ourselves down where we can't really see Hashem's hand as directly without working really hard at it. But all it takes is to know how hard we work at things and sometimes nothing, it doesn't help to realize that what made it happen wasn't really our effort. And also it's genius. I mean, obviously, but it's genius because when you work harder for something, you appreciate it so much more than yeah. when it's handed to you. Yeah, Hashem yeah. gives us all of it and then and we're, we're do we upset. even appreciate what he gives us? Right. If we work hard at it, we actually become more in tune. We can become, we could just become Bali Gaiva. But if we work really hard, we could also get more in tune with how difficult it is really that, you know, you got to that point, every big project has that point where you realize there's no way this is going to happen. Right. Right. And then it happens. And then that can tune you back into, you know what, we really are weak. Hashem really is the one doing it. And to realize how grateful we are because we realized how hard it is, and that we couldn't do it. So that, that appreciation, that's good. Okay. There's another mitzvah in Shema, Vidibar Tabam. You should speak about them, meaning words of Torah, Beshiv Techa right? When you're sitting in your home, Uvalech Techavaderech. When you're walking on the way, Uvashach Becha Uvkumecha. When you're lying down, and when you're getting up. That is the mitzvah to read Kriya Shema when you lie down, meaning the time when it's normal to lie down at night. And when you get up, the time it's normal to get up, which is in the first part of the day. This is the amount of Krishma is the first three hours of the day because of this mitzvah that's in Shema. Because of that, because it has a specific time, the time you're getting up and the time you're going to bed, it is a mitzvah's ase shahazman grama, a positive commandment that is time-triggered, which means that women are pater. But... Even though women are putter 
from the mitzvah of saying Shema morning and night, men and women are equally chayev in the mitzvah of Kabbalah's Malchus Shemayim. Okay, so women don't have to worry if they didn't manage to say Shema at the right time, but we're not, you really should still say Shema anyway. Because the mitzvah of Kabbalah's Malchus Shemayim, you're not putter from. Yeah? Okay. There's another mitzvah in Kriya Shema, which is really in the third paragraph, which is the mitzvah of remembering that Hashem took us out of Egypt. Right? That's another fulfillment of another mitzvah that's in here. Okay. So Abu Darham asks a question. He says, how come we don't make a bracha? Or we do make brachas before saying Shema. But the brachos are not Asher Kedeshanu B'Mitzvah Sivanu. Um, I don't know, Likro Shema or something like that. Okay. That mitzvah, we, it's a mitzvah, and we're doing, we're doing more than one mitzvah. We're remembering Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim. We're being Mikabal Omach Shemaim, and we're doing the mitzvah of saying Shema at the right time. How come we don't make a bracha over it? So he says, what is the main mitzvah we're doing when we say Shema? The main mitzvah is Kabbalah's Malchus Shemaim. Declaring and fully absorbing into ourselves that Hashem is our king and that we choose into that if we could. What is the inyan of making a bracha? So how do you know if something's a bracha? Chazal say, if a bracha doesn't have shame and malchus, God's name and a declaration that he is the melech, then it's not a bracha. We're going to have a longer discussion on this in the introduction to Shemona Esrei. But a bracha that doesn't have malchus, shame and malchus, is not a bracha. Which means that in order to be defined as a bracha, it has to declare that Hashem is the king of the universe. The mitzvah of Shema is a declaration that Hashem is the king of the universe. So we don't put another bracha on top of that because they would be redundant. like, oh, it would be yeah. redundant. Yeah, that's exactly the word. Okay. So it has shame and it has malchus. It is a bracha in that sense. It, it contains its own bracha it's within itself. Right. It has its own bracha inside of itself and does not require another bracha over it. Okay. So another thing that's happening is that we are closing in on Shemona Esrei, which becomes the peak. So Shema and Shemona Esrei, which have to be connected, we connect um, Geula Tzitzvila, the end bracha of Shema has to connect directly to the beginning brachos of Shemona Esrei, to the extent that you don't say Amen. If you're in Shul, like in a Shachris, so the Chazan says, Baruch HaTashem Ga'al Yisrael, and he drops his voice down. It says, Baruch HaTashem You can't hear the end of the bracha, that's so that you won't accidentally say amen. Because you, that would, even amen would be an interruption mm-hmm. when it comes to keeping Shema adjacent to Shemona Esri. So here's how Rav Hirsch says it in Chorev. The central point of the tefillah is Kriya Shema and the remembering of Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. From the unity of God, meaning Yichud Hashem, Hashem Okinu Hashem Echad, proceed... What time is it? Oh. 
the duty and destiny of yourself and your people. So one thing he's doing is helping to explain why would Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim be part of Shema? And, and why is Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim part of Shema in terms of wearing tzitzis? Okay, so that we'll get to like more down the line. But he's indicating that. He's saying like why... Okay, it's what, from the, that unity of God, that is the source. The fact that Hashem is Elokeinu and Hashem is Echad and Midas Hadin, it means all of that, that is what generates a reality that I have a mission in life. That's my duty and my destiny. That's my mission. And that's a personal mission and that's a national mission. And those things, right? So again, some it's like yet we some got here from a different angle, but we're back at the idea that we are directly serving God and He is directly controlling our fate. And there's no intermediary. We just came at it from another way. From the Yichud of Hashem comes our duty and destiny, our mission, on a personal level and on a national level. The events by which history pledges God's unity to you and in which the only God appears as your God, judging, guiding, educating, and redeeming the lives of nations, and above all, the creator of your national existence. This, we go from Psuche de Zimra, let's go back another step, we go from Brachos, seeing Hashem as the creator of everything around us in the world, and we go to Psuche de Zimra, seeing Hashem as the creator of all forces and actions and trends in the world. And then we come to applying it to ourselves in Kriyashma. Hashem is the creator of me. Me, the individual, and me as part of a greater community of Jews. That is the creation of us. It's a new creation. This is back to Avraham, right? This is a new creation that Hashem actually created me and because he created me there's something I'm here to do I have a mission that's my duty that's my destiny and they're one and the same my duty is my destiny and my destiny is my duty and people like to think about destiny they don't like to think about duty it's wonder like these books like the Harry Potter books and this whole trying to build up a drama and excitement he's the chosen one and he's the boy who lived and all these things First of all, I mean, I don't get, like, the rant, you know, about, like, and what about poor Neville Longbottom, you know? And, like, <laughs> like his parents also loved him, and they also defended him, and they also, you know, and they went crazy, and he didn't get any scars to help defend him from anybody. You know, so, like, what did he, like, everything about him is so wonderful because, what, he didn't do anything, right? And even this whole, like, duty and destiny, he doesn't seem to feel a sense of duty. Like, the whole thing is, like, very messy. People can get excited about the idea that they have a destiny. There's a purpose for... But do you realize that destiny means duty? They're just referring to different pieces of the same thing. Different descriptions of the same thing. Because your duty means, what are you meant to do? (laughs) And your destiny is, what are you meant to have done? Meaning, when you've done it, what what is the greatness of that? Doing doing mitzvahs also gives you many duties and destinies. I mean... That's, like, That's how so you fulfill the you destiny. Why would you want to know exactly, if you knew exactly your duty and destiny, you wouldn't try all these other things. Well, I think the point is we would, because Hashem speaks to us clearly enough 
that we would. We do have a concept that the more openly we're able to see him talking to us, the harder it is to have full free will. But we see that we can know perfectly well what we ought to be doing and still do the wrong thing. Well, that's true, too. And it can be really clear, like, not just because it was written down, which it was, but even because we've done this mistake before and we know that whenever we say that, the other person feels bad. And we still let it pop out of our mouths. Or pretending not to see the person who needs to talk Or pretending, yeah. Right. And we could sit in a shear on Rus and hear about Elimelech leaving Israel because all the poor people were going to be knocking on his door. Right. And we can still drive down the street and think, oh, I really hope there isn't standing, anyone standing on right. that corner when I walk by. Right. And, and, and we just learned about it. Right. And we just sat there in a shear and thought, what kind of person was Elimelech? Like, he had all that money. How could he? So, and, so you're saying, like, saying the, the feeling of it. Right. right? But he, meaning if you put the poor person there, there's something you're supposed to get. That does not mean that it's our job to try and support every poor person, especially right. if we happen not to be wealthy, or especially if we have reason we to think that they're that. not really poor, or we have reason to think that they're using the money for, you know, so maybe right. you should give them food and not money. Or maybe, but everyone who comes into our lives is somehow God indicating to us something he wants from us. At the same time, we're also people coming into other people's lives. When we come into other people's lives, we're also part of God talking to them. It's the truth. When we think about like understanding like who am I and what is my mission in life, there's something that I emit in a good way, like a light that I shine out. That's my Tselamelokim that I bring into every place I go. And I can reveal that more or less by what I'm doing. When I'm doing God's will, that gets revealed more and more. And when I'm not, it's less and less. But if I go into some circumstance and I stop for a minute, you know, before I walk in the door of the house and I think, what am I doing here? I'm here to be the mother. I'm here to be the wife. What does that mean? Right? I'm not here to be a baby. <laughs> but here, I'm here for a reason. God is sending me here. It does transform how you see situations. If you go into a meeting thinking God is sending me here, a doctor's office. I mean, that's what you said about Shema. If coming into Shema before you go out to the rest of the day tells you Hashem created me, therefore that that itself creates a reality of duty and destiny. And duty and destiny cannot be disentangled because destiny is created through duty, so to speak. Like, well, you can't. I'm saying the destiny is is decreed, but how does it how is it fulfilled? It's through a process of lots of little duties right. and big ones. Okay. So, and I'm going to, we'll stop yeah. here, I guess, for the summer. Oh. But this is, we'll, we'll continue next, no. next time, whenever that is. We'll probably do an introduction again and talk about the aspect of Shema that corresponds to the level of the Malachim.